Well, happy Advent. We are beginning our Advent series here in the English congregation. And Advent is a season where we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Christmas is one of those times in the year, all around the world, in many places of this world, where you can't ignore Christmas, even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Christmas kind of invades society because when you look around, everything changes. Here in America, the radio stations begin to play Christmas songs. You go, to the, you go to the marketplace, you go to the market, you go shopping, and there's lights everywhere. People begin to dress and dress in, in certain colors that match the Christmas season. And when you go to your local coffee shop, they might begin to serve peppermint-flavored lattes and coffee drinks. Right? Everything changes. It's, it's kind of an, an interruption to the normal course of life. It is a very busy time, and Christmas has been commercialized. But behind that concept, there is a spiritual reality that for those who understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that there's something deeper, that when Christ was born, everything did change. I've entitled our message today, Emmanuel, a divine interruption. Emmanuel, a divine interruption. Emmanuel means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us, truly changes everything. Put another way, when God interrupts, everything changes. When heaven interrupts, everything around you changes. Now, today we're going to see that Christmas was a divine interruption of Joseph's life. We know that it wasn't just Joseph, it was Joseph and Mary, but today's passage focuses on the birth of Christ from the perspective of Joseph. This divine interruption would bring a great challenge to the life of Joseph, but these challenges would be for his ultimate good, not just his good, but for the good of the world and for the glory of God. So if you have God's word, meet me now in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and this is a classic Christmas story that we've heard many times from different perspectives. But Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, once again, focuses on the birth of Christ from the perspective of Joseph. Allow me to read into your hearing the passage in its completion, and then we'll go verse by verse, okay? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, engaged, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, as I mentioned, there are various approaches to this passage. Some preachers focus on the faithfulness of Jesus. I mean, of Joseph as Jesus' father. And we'll touch on the faith of Joseph this morning, but that will not be the thrust of our focus. I want to approach this passage this morning focusing on Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And I want to focus on Joseph's personal experience of Emmanuel and apply that to us today. So if you have God's word, Stay with me in Matthew chapter 1, and point number one is God with us changes our personal plans. God with us changes our personal plans. In other words, an unexpected divine interruption changed Joseph's plans for marriage and probably his personal plans for where he would raise his family. But Christmas is a divine interruption that if you believe in Christ, it will also change your personal plans. Now, starting in verse 18, what we see, starting in verse 18, what we, we, we just read is that Joseph and Mary were engaged. And the Bible uses this word betrothed, and that's an old word for engaged. Back then, engagement was almost as good as marriage. And so if you were engaged to someone, you would call them your husband or your wife, but you would not come together in Jewish culture, obviously, uh, to have premarital sex, but you're pretty much married. And so Joseph and Mary were formally engaged, and the text is very clear about their chastity, that is, their sexual purity. Notice in verse 18, it says, before they came together. That's a nice way of saying they did not have premarital sex. Yet, Mary became pregnant. It says she was found to be with child. Now, I'm not, I'm not very knowledgeable when it comes to the sciences, but you tell me how on earth does that happen? How do you not have sex and become pregnant? Well, we know that at the end of verse 18, it says, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ was supernaturally conceived through the Holy Spirit. How was Jesus conceived? It was through a divine miracle. Now, for you and I, this is great news. This is excellent news. But for Joseph, this was a crisis. Put another way, for Joseph, the announcement that Christ is became a crisis for him. It became a crisis for him because it was an interruption to his personal marriage plans. Just imagine being Joseph. How would you respond? How would you respond? The angel of the Lord has not visited you yet in verse 18. So how would you respond to finding out that your fiancé is pregnant? If you're a real man, your first question is, how did that happen? Who did you sleep with? That's a valid question. I mean, we're logical people. We're logical people. We know how babies are made. So right away, you find out your fiance is pregnant. Your question is, how did this happen if I never knew her in that way? Now you look at verse 19, the next verse, and it says, Joseph was a just man. The New American Standard 1995 version says, a righteous man. Joseph was a just and righteous man. Now, I don't know about you, but when the Bible says that you're righteous, that's pretty good. 
Because Joseph is a human being just like you and I. He's sinful. He has his sins. But all this means is that he had a heart that wanted to do what was righteous in the sight of God. He was a pious Jewish man who sought to observe the temple practices and sought to observe the law of Moses to the best of his human ability. And when he sinned, he would do everything that he would need to do. He would make his sacrifices. He would pray and he would go to the Lord. So it tells you something about his heart. We know that Romans chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that in the eyes of God, no one is righteous. And it literally, it literally says in Romans 3.10, no, not one. Therefore, when it says Joseph was a righteous man, that is pretty good. So this is a man who is pious in character, and God sees him as a righteous man. And so you find out your fiancé is pregnant, you aren't the father. What does the righteous man do? The man who seeks to obey the Old Testament law. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 to 24, it gives you some teaching. And this is the Bible. Right, this is the Bible, Deuteronomy 22, 23 to 24. Let me read it into your hearing. It says, if there is a woman who is a virgin engaged to a man, that's you, Joe, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, having sex with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and the right thing that the Bible says to do is that you stone them to death, you kill them. Meaning the guilty man and the guilty woman, not just the woman, but the man too. And, and, and the Jewish community would be, that's the right thing to do. So Joseph, being a righteous man, knows the Old Testament law. He knows that he can do this. But he's just. I think that's why the ESV translates not just righteous, but he's just. He also knows the heart of Mary. Maybe in his mind, I just want you to think of the crisis, that this divine interruption, I mean, he knows Mary. He's a righteous man, so he's seeking after a righteous woman. And he's thinking, okay, well, obviously there's a science happening here. She's pregnant. But I know her. This doesn't reflect her character. How could this happen? This is not the Mary that I know. This is not the Mary that I know. This is not the woman that I got engaged to. Can you imagine that, man? And so he's having this crisis in his mind. But in his heart, he says, because of who I know her to be, I don't want to expose her to public shame. I don't want her to be stoned by marijuana or by rocks. I don't want her to be stoned. I want her to be protected. So even though he has the right, according to the law, to have her killed, and he doesn't know the whole story yet, right? he does what is just in his heart. And verse 19, it says that her husband Joseph, speaking retrospectively of, to the time of their engagement, right? Her husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because adultery gave you grounds, biblically, for divorce. So he assumed, okay, well, this is how babies are made. She must have cheated on me. She's pregnant. So I'm going to divorce her, but I'm not going to do it publicly. I'm going to do it quietly so that she doesn't have to deal with the public shame. He's going to break off the engagement in the most gracious way possible. Righteous man living in a small town within a Jewish culture. Imagine the honor and shame society that they lived in. Imagine that if he did take this wife, why would he consider divorce quietly, right? Because he thinks he has the grounds. But if you take her as your wife, people are smart. Nine months later, everyone in the small town is going to do their mental math. And they're going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
wait a minute, uh, we're in a small town, we were at the wedding, that wedding was when, and look, uh, uh, they had sex before he put a ring on it, before they got married, officially, right? They, they had sex. So, so imagine in a Jewish town the shame if he were to marry her, right? Naturally, everyone is going to assume one of two things. Either you had premarital sex and you violated the Old Testament law, or Mary had relations with another man. So he was cornered. It was a crisis for him. He had no choice. But then the Lord intervenes. Verse 20. It says in verse 20 that an angel of the Lord, what we read earlier, appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David. Stop there for a second. Joseph, son of David. I want you to take note of this. This is the only time that Matthew refers to anyone other than Jesus Christ as the son of David in his Gospels. This is the only time that Matthew gives someone else the name Son of David. Now, the Jews understood the Son of David as the promised Messiah, right? This is the greater Son of David, the one who would fulfill God's Davidic covenant, the Messiah, the one who would come from the line of David. Now, one of the themes of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus Christ is the messianic fulfillment. He is the true king of the Jews. He is the greater Son of David. But here, the angel of the Lord refers to Joseph as son of David because Joseph is the one that is connected to the Davidic line. Joseph, son of David. Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph, are you going to believe this? Well, I've never had an angel visit me in a dream. So I don't know, but I mean, he, he believed that this was the word of the Lord speaking to him. Now, let me make a note. Joseph is a descendant of David. But did you ever think that Jesus was adopted? Just think about that for a moment. The Messiah himself, who is the greater son of David, does not have a direct biological relationship to David. Did you ever think of that? How can he be biologically connected to David if he was conceived of a virgin? You look at God's sovereign adoption and his grace and his love for the Gentiles right there. God could have done it any other way. He says, I'm going to fulfill my promise to David through adoption. That Joseph, you are going to adopt this child. You, this is not your biological child, Joseph. You're going to adopt Jesus Christ. You're going to adopt the Son of God is your Son, and you're going to raise Him. What an interruption. God with us. God being with Joseph. God coming down in the form of a supernatural conception. And Mary doesn't come from the line of David directly, right? The way that Mary is connected to the Davidic covenant is because of her marriage to Joseph. So Jesus is adopted in to the Davidic line. You and I are adopted in to the Davidic line. Yes, Jesus is Jewish by ethnicity, but by his connection to the promised line, it is via adoption because of the supernatural virgin birth. If ever Matthew wanted to make the point to his Jewish readers that being Jewish doesn't save you, here it is. 
If Matthew ever wanted to make the point that your biological relationship to Abraham and David doesn't save you, rather it is your spiritual faith relationship, here it is. So the angel tells Joseph, do not fear. But Joseph was afraid. How can you not be afraid? First of all, an angel's talking to you, but this is, you're about to really have, raise a child that's the son of God? How's Joseph going to explain this to his family members? How's Joseph going to explain this to his friends? How are you going to explain to the people in your community that, hey, you know, um, this is my son. I know it looks like we had premarital sex, but trust me, an angel spoke to me in a dream and told me that this was conceived through the Holy Spirit. People are not going to believe you, right? So when Joseph decides to obey He's really trusting God. He needed to trust that this child was truly conceived by the Holy Spirit and not from another man. He needed to trust Mary, and he needed to be willing to bear the shame that comes with being related to Christ in this way. You see, when God is with us, when God interrupts, there is some shame that comes with it, meaning worldly reproach for being connected to Christ. So he would bear that reproach, but at the same time, he would experience the blessings. Now, John 8.41, I don't have it for you on the screen, but John 8.41, the Jews are insulting Jesus. Okay, they're insulting Jesus, and Jesus is trying to make the point to the, to the Jews that you who reject the Messiah are not the true heirs of Abraham. And this is what they said to Jesus. They insulted him. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have our father, even God. Now, scholars note, including conservative scholars like D.A. Carson, note that it's very possible that the Jews were insulting Jesus based on three decades of rumors that stuck around that, Jesus, you were born out of premarital sex. So if the Jews were insulting Jesus when he was in his 30s, saying, you want to tell us who our father is? You were conceived out of, out of sexual immorality, not us. What do you think Joseph went through for his entire life? Him and Mary, he and Mary. Imagine for three decades of, of, of Jesus' life, childhood, then Jesus going into a young man, his parents endured rumors and gossip and shame. Yet Joseph trusted God. He had to trust in God's plan. Now, also, Matthew chapter 2, which we'll look at next week, as soon as the child is born, Joseph and Mary had to run for their lives. It's like his life got messed up. So you have this righteous man, this just man. He's got this great Mary that he's going to marry, and they're going to have their own family and raise children. And all of a sudden, Jesus interrupts him. God says, look, I'm going to be with you. Thanks a lot, God. I wish you weren't Emmanuel. Right? But now God is with us. Now we got to run for our lives. We got well, to take care of this child. We got to run to Egypt. We got to move around. Look at how his life was disturbed by a divine interruption. But there's something else that happens is that when Christ interrupted their plans and altered their lives forever, something divine happened. God was with them. You understand that the child that they're raising is the Son of God. Not only is God literally with them, 
which always leads to good things in the Old Testament. And he should have known that, and he learned to know that. But don't you think God the Father is going to watch over your, you and your family in a special way? You, that's the same with us. When Christ comes with us, not only is the Son of God through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, but the Father is now watching over us and guiding us. And even the hardship, even having to run from persecution, even having to go through all kinds of trials, we have to trust that if God is with us, Emmanuel means that not only is the Son of God with you, but the Father's watching you, the Holy Spirit's watching over your life. And so that's what we see is the point number one, God with us changes our personal plans. Joseph's life, his personal plans, whatever they were, were radically changed. But God also changes our personal plans. Sometimes we try to fit Jesus into our plans. Like, okay, you know, I got plans for my career. I got plans for raising a family. I got plans for all this. And let me look at my calendar and my plans to see where I can fit this Christianity into it. Well, maybe Sundays here and there. We try to fit Jesus in, but it never works that way. It never works that way. It's always that God completely gives us the unexpected. He gives us trials, and he guides us through those trials where we learn how real he is. And that was the reality for Joseph. So his personal plans change because of the Christmas for him. But that leads us to point number two, which is God with us changes our personal lives. Not only our plans. So when I talk about plans, I'm talking about external plans in life. We all need to make plans. But when I talk about personal lives, I'm talking about what happens to your character, what happens to your faith, what happens inside of you. Not just your external plans in life, your schedule and your, your, you know, your decades that you plan out, maybe your retirement, but what actually happens to you as a person. You become a different person. Let me show you where God says this. Look with me now, verses 21 to 25. We read this earlier. But point number two, God with us changes our personal lives. In other words, an unexpected interruption will change not just Joseph's life, but the course of many lives, including ours, right? Jesus changed not only his life, but he changes our lives. In verses 21 and 25, you begin to see the purpose for Jesus' birth. What was the purpose for Jesus' birth? Now look at verse 21. The angel tells Joseph that Mary shall bear a son. So this child is going to be a boy. It's going to be a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Jewish culture, it was the right and honor of a father to name his own child, and the naming of, the, of, of that male child typically took place on the eighth day after birth at the time of circumcision. And names held far more significance in their culture than ours today. So the name you give your child would typically characterize their destiny or what you would want for them. Obviously, your destiny as desired by your parents. So here this angel is telling Joseph exactly what to do. So Joseph gives up his right to name the child. So Joseph, um, instead of Joe Jr., he, he names him. He has to name him Jesus. Right, Jesus, this is what you're going to name him. You will name him Jesus. His name shall be Jesus. And again, here we see that Joseph having to submit to God's sovereign plan, right? That you will name him Jesus and he will save the people from their sins. So not just Joseph's life is impacted, but his people. And by extension, that includes you and I who believe in him. Now, the, the, the Hebrew name Jesus is, 
Yeshua or Yeshua. It's a shortened form of Joshua, Yeshua, and it means Yahweh is salvation. That's our Messiah. Yahweh is salvation. Christ will save his people from their sins. And his people includes Israel, who believed in him, and us, who believe in him. Now, in verses 22 to 23, the angel tells Joseph that the birth of Jesus will fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, which reads, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So right there, it was predicted that there would be a Messiah who is born of a virgin, shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew gives you the parenthetical explanation. It means God with us. Now, what Matthew does is he takes this prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 and he proclaims that Jesus fulfills this promise to David. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the original context of Isaiah 7 because it's helpful. In Isaiah 7, Judah, the southern kingdom, was under an evil king. So you had Asa, son of David, on the Davidic throne, Ahaz, who was evil, 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 evil. Ahaz worshipped idols. He worshipped an idol named Molech. And on one occasion, he sacrificed his own son. He killed his own child as a sacrifice to this idol, Molech. That's how evil he was. And so Ahaz was facing invasion, imminent invasion. So the southern kingdom was being threatened. There was a, there was a nation coming from one side and a nation coming from another side. And so he was from the north and from another side, and he was going to be invaded. And instead of repenting and crying out to Yahweh, he turns to a foreign king, another foreign king. And this would later backfire on him. But the case in point is, it's in that context that you have an evil king on the Davidic throne, and you have the imminent threat of the Davidic throne being lost to invasion. It's in that context that Isaiah gives a promise that God will keep his promise to David, that there will be a king who will come, and it will be God with us despite what you see externally happening, even though it seems that David's throne is not going to continue or that it's impure, God will deliver his promise to David. That's the context, okay? And now you go into Matthew's context. You have not a good token king of the Jews, Herod. Herod, evil king. We'll look at that next week. You have Caesar ruling. And it doesn't seem like God is going to send a Davidic king, but he does. And Jesus fulfills the virgin birth, conceived through the Holy Spirit, a son, which is literally God with us. Literally God with us. Jesus Christ is 100% God, but he is born 100% man. To become the savior of the world, Jesus had to become one of us. Now, why did he be, have to become human? Simple. You have to become human to die in the place of humans. So Jesus was 100% human. 100% human. His parents had to change him. His parents had to feed him. He had to sleep. He was just like any other baby, but he was 100% God. He had to be 100% God because he had to be sinless. He had to be born of a virgin. So here you have 100% God, 100% man, Jesus Christ, literally God with us. Now, verses 24 to 25. 
You see the conclusion of our passage. Notice, notice that Joseph awoke from his sleep and he obeyed exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He faithfully kept Mary a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And you could see how this reflects his just character. He's like, okay, I got to take her as my wife. I'm going to obey. I'm going to marry her. I'm, I could legally have sex with my wife, but he says, I'm going to obey. I'm not going to have sexual relations with her until she gives birth so that it's very clear that this is a virgin birth. It's very clear. No dispute, right? So he obeys and he marries her. And so once he marries her, he's going to bear all that shame that I mentioned earlier. And so God chose to use this God-fearing man and his wife to, to fulfill his plan to save all of us from sin. So let me give you the big idea, and I want to get to application. The big idea of our message this morning is Christ was born as Emmanuel, God with us to save us from sin and to change our lives forever. Christ was born as Emmanuel, God with us to save us from sin and change our lives forever. Now, I mentioned in the beginning that, I, that my aim, this message, is not so much to focus on Joseph's faithfulness. There's plenty of sermons you can find on that, but I want to focus on Emmanuel, God with us, and what this meant for Joseph and what this means for us. The first application is, first, Emmanuel changes us by giving us a front row seat to, his, to the sinless character of Christ. In other words, the more you get to know Jesus, and you listen in on this, the more you will actually experience and see that he is righteous and he is good, even when you can't understand why suffering happens in your life or in this world. You see, for Joseph and Mary, not only did their circumstances change, but this baby Jesus would change their hearts. Consider this. Even if you aren't parents, how many of you guys have been around babies? You have. How many of you guys have been around children? You've been around children. Are children sinless? They do what they want to do. That's why you need parents. Can you imagine Joseph's, Joseph and Mary's life? People are saying, oh, that baby's conceived of sin. That baby's conceived of sin. But you know that's not true. And you know Joseph had other kids, and they get to witness Jesus. And he's completely sinless. Kind to his brothers and sisters, shares the toys. Then they see him go into his teenage years with no teenager drama. Obedient to his parents. And when, when, when they can't find him, he's in the temple. <laughs> can you imagine that? Parents, can you imagine a sinless child, a sinless teenager? What would that do to you? And you yourself are sinful. You get frustrated with your other kids, start yelling at them. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. Get upset, you get frustrated, and, and then here's your son, Jesus, here's Jesus. Here's Yeshua. Are you serious, Jesus? What does that do to you? So you get to see your son. Then he becomes a man. You know, when we don't read, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to Joseph. When Jesus was crucified. Uh, we assume that maybe Joseph had passed away. We don't know how. But you know Mary believed that Jesus was sinless. And that he truly is the son of God. 
and the, and the her son is God, not just because of what the angel told to her, because, but also because she had a first row eyewitness seat to her baby boy being sinless. You know what that would do to you? That's what Jesus does. He is God with us. Born on Christmas Day. See, the more you see Jesus, the more you follow him, you can try to not believe in him. But if you truly read the Bible to learn more about Jesus, there's something that's going to go into your mind. Oh, is this true? Is this true? But just follow him. And, and the more you read about him, you'll be like, this is, wow. He, he truly is the sinless son of God. Just like Mary, when they crucified her son, she knew that that was God, that that was the son of God. That's what God with us will do to you. Emmanuel changes your life because now it's not God being spoken to you through a prophet. Now it's not God being read to you from the pages of the Old Testament law. Now it's not hearing the stories of your ancestors in Israel. Now it's you experiencing Christ in your life. When you experience Jesus Christ in your life, it sounds simple, but he will change your life because he's sinless, because he was born of a virgin birth, because he's holy, and his holiness will transform you. You know, Joseph and Mary got a front row seat to this magnificent, glorious, moral excellence of Christ. It is the moral excellence of Christ that will change your life and you get lessons in life that are deeper than just the surface. The son who was born on Christmas Day, the more you follow him, the more you will be transformed by his glory. And Paul picks up on this in Corinthians. The more you gaze upon the glory of Christ, the more you're transformed. Moses, he barely got to see the backside of God and he was glowing and it wouldn't go away, but finally it faded. You see, the more Mary and Joseph gazed upon Christ and watched him live and followed him, the more they were changed and transformed. Now, there will be times in our lives where we will have moments of doubt. You might be disappointed or upset when you find out you have cancer or when you look at the evil in this world or when you go through trials or when you struggle with loneliness or when you have difficulty with your children or when you see the imperfections of the church. But the imperfections of the church don't define Christianity. Imperfect Christian people don't define Christianity you look to them and you look to us, you will be disappointed. It is the sinless Christ, born of a virgin, that defines Christianity. You look to the sinlessness of Christ and you will be convinced. It is a sinless Savior that saves people, not sinless Christians. It is a sinless Christ. The more you know Jesus, the more you will be convinced that he is sinless and righteous. And that will save you. The more you gaze upon Christ through his word, the more you will believe that he truly is the Son of God. Try it. Here's a second application. Not only does Emmanuel change us by giving us a front row seat to Jesus Christ through the word of God, but secondly, God with us breaks down the barrier between us and God like never before. I was listening to a sermon. The sermon was from like, I think, I think 1991, but this preacher shared an insight. I wasn't listening to it in 1991. I wasn't saved yet. <laughs> um, but 
this preacher was breaking down this meaning of Emmanuel. And he said something along the lines of this, that when God showed up in the burning bush, it was just God. And when God showed up in a pillar of fire, it was just God. It was not God with us. Because when God showed up in the Old Testament, it was terrifying. You can't grasp that burning bush. You, you can only be terrified and in awe of the glory of that God. When God showed up for Israel as a pillar of fire, you could not grasp that God. You knew it was God. You were terrified of it. But it was God before us. It was not God with us. But at Christmas time, Christ came as a baby. Most people aren't terrified of babies. I mean, you might be afraid of what the baby would mean in terms of your responsibilities. But most people aren't terrified of babies. It doesn't say toddler. It says baby. The baby's not, you know, you can hold the baby. You're not chasing that baby running away from you. Unlike a pillar of fire, you can pick up a baby. Christ being born a baby is not just God. It's God with us. He came as a baby. Why would he do that? A baby is the most vulnerable being or person or in our life stage. When someone's a baby, they're most vulnerable. They are dependent on their parents. The Son of God could have came in any other way, but he came as a baby. Why would God do that? To show us that he is breaking down the barrier between a holy God and sinful man. Not the pillar of fire. Not the burning bush. Not the God that shows up in supernatural ways that terrifies you. But the Son of God came as a vulnerable baby. Later on, he would go to the cross and he would die for our sins. You see, when we understand Christmas, we understand that Christmas represents the birth of Christ, which truly is the fulfillment of not just God before us, but God with us. Jesus makes God accessible to you and me. It's truly God with us, like you're holding that baby. It's God with us. Now, I want you to consider your life. There is a barrier between you and God if you don't know Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only person who can break down that barrier between you and a holy God. And so this Christmas season, I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to trust in the Christ of Christmas. If you have yet to believe in Jesus Christ, Christ comes vulnerable, but he would grow up, become a man. He's completely sinless, and he would die on that cross for your sins. And if you believe in him, trust in him, confess that you are a sinner in need of his grace, and ask him to change your heart, he will save you, and he will change your life forever. Christ was born as God with us, Emmanuel, to save us from sin and to change our lives forever. And if you want to do that this morning, I want you to give you the opportunity now. Will everyone bow your heads? Eyes closed, heads bowed. If you want to receive Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, is the son of God. Father, 
I confess that I'm a sinner in need of your grace. Please forgive me for my sin. Help me to change. I want to change my heart. I want to repent. I believe that Christ rose from the grave. Now, Father, help me to live for you. Now, that may be some of you. If that's you, I want to talk to you afterwards at the next steps table. One of us pastors will be there until business meeting starts. Please come and talk to us. We'd love to help you understand what it means to follow Christ. Don't miss out this Christmas. That is the greatest gift that you could ever receive is Christ. Second, I want the rest of you to pray this way. Father, Christmas time is a busy time. It's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to know in our minds and our hearts why Christmas exists, but to forget about what it means to prepare room in our hearts amid all the Christmas season. And maybe even for those who don't have a lot of things to attend, there's a loneliness, Lord. Help us, Lord, amid everything that's going on at Christmas, to be reminded and to rededicate our hearts to you because we've experienced once again the joy of Christmas, the joy of our salvation, the joy of what it means that God is with us. Help us to experience the sinlessness of Christ through the word of God and help our hearts to be transformed through reading over and over again, once again, through the gospels, how Christ was not only born sinless, but he lived and died sinless. Let that change and transform us, Lord. Let us let that light of fire in our hearts during Christmas time that we would sing of the joy of our salvation. So, Father, for all of us, Lord, we rededicate our lives to putting you as the priority of Christmas above all. Help us even cancel events so that we can make room and space in our hearts to worship you with the worship that you deserve because you became vulnerable and came to be God with us. Thank you, Lord, for being our Emmanuel, God with us. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.